0: Well, good morning, man. I'm excited to be here, and what a great worship service, Amen! Wasn't that a great time together? It's so good to see a full room. I mean, we've been in a lot of churches, and a lot of them aren't even close to full. And I know that you guys are ready to get back in the in the main room, and it's going to be. I heard it's going to be a beautiful uh, room once you get that all done. But just to see a full room today with people smiling and excited about being in church is really encouraging to us. And I uh, just want to share with you a little bit of our connection with this church. Uh, my grandfather, uh, back in the early 90s, started a church in Madison Heights, Virginia, and this church was kind of the mother church of our church, but uh, Pastor Skinner at the time uh, really helped my grandfather get that church off the ground, and uh, it was because of my grandfather's investment in my life that I'm now missionary, so that's kind of credited back all the way here to this church and then, of course, uh, you know, we went to youth camps together and all these different kind of things over the years. I think I was telling Megan, I think I went to like a, like a strongman event one time in this gym. Did we have that a few years ago when I was a teenager? So we've, we've done all kinds of things here. And uh, of course, I was in Springfield with, uh, with Pastor and Krista when they were in Springfield and Chris and I actually even worked together for a little while, so uh, we, we definitely kind of have some uh, connections here with you guys, and I uh, just wanted to thank you all. You didn't even know it, but your investment in my grandfather and my home church, uh, that has been an investment in me, has shaped my path and my direction. So uh, for those of you that were here during those uh, d- during the early 90s, you are part of our story and part of the ministry in Cape Town, and then anyone here who's, who's here today is part of that continuing forward. So Thank you so much for all of your investment in my life. And I want to share with you just kind of quickly uh, about uh, South Africa, where we are. Uh, We're in Cape Town, South Africa, which is the second largest city uh, in South Africa. We've got uh, the the official number is about four and a half million, but it's really more like six million or or, or probably even more than that. And uh, we are pretty much right in the heart of the city. It's a very urban ministry. Uh, We live in an apartment. We pretty much walk everywhere. And uh, we, 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 you know, everyone in our building that, that we know, our neighbors, our friends, our community, we, we're, we're getting to know people. And uh, we are in a, in a difficult area of the city. Uh, we've been told there's been about a dozen failed church plants in our section of the city. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, about 30,000 Jews live in our area of the city. And as we all know, they're, uh, you know, very against uh, Jesus and what he preaches. And so that's a big part of it. We have a lot of people who are just kind of like your modern city dwellers, you know, very anti-church. They are past the whole idea of religion. They think that it's outdated and not needed anymore. And so uh, we also have some cultural Christians who were either baptized as a baby in an Anglican church or a Catholic church. And so they're good to go because they were baptized. But, of course, no relationship with Jesus or uh, or, or a church family, or anything like that, and so uh, we are there um, right now, and we're trying to recruit a team to come and, and actually join us and be part of the long-term ministry there. So, if you would please pray for us, uh, we have a lot of things going. Uh, we actually have one of our Bible studies that we've been doing online since the coronavirus started, and it's it's tripled in size since we since we left. So that's been really great. Uh, one of our other online groups totally fell apart during this time. So it's kind of you know different different ways there. But we have uh, several ministry opportunities lined up. Uh, We are returning on the 22nd of this month, so uh, less than two weeks away until we get back. Actually, because of the travel time, we'll be landing in Cape Town uh, two weeks from today. So we can't wait to get back, and we have a few things ready to go when we get there. And uh, they still can't meet in person, but uh, we had a good furlough, and we were able to raise our support uh, as well as recruit some more families that are going to at least come and visit and see about joining our team. And uh, we are ready to get back to be ready for when it does open up and we can kind of keep moving with uh, what our plan was. You know, God's plan and God's uh, mission for 2020 in Cape Town, South Africa, didn't change. What we thought was going to happen changed, but this didn't sway God. This didn't surprise him. His plan for his church in Cape Town hasn't changed, and we're just privileged to be part of it. Uh, and thank you guys for having us today, for praying for us, and I th- thank you, Pastor, for fitting us in. I know we had to find the right date at the right time with my schedule and your schedule, and I really appreciate that. If you would, let's let's turn to Matthew chapter 9 together. We'll be in Matthew chapter 9 at the end of the chapter. I was told this is holy water that pastor usually drinks, so I, I heard it's the good stuff, right? Is that Right? So we'll be in Matthew chapter 9. I want to share with you today, uh, it's a very common missions passage. Uh, Many missionaries have preached it. You've probably heard it several times. But I want to look at three different things that that Jesus did uh, while he was here on earth engaging his culture and how we can really engage our culture. You know, Pastor was in this series called Faithful, and we're talking about uh, being a steward, right? I mean, that message last week was great, Pastor, talking about how we are a steward, uh, and, and the verse before that talks about we are a steward of the mysteries of God, right? The mysteries of God. That's what we're entrusted with, right? It's not, it's not building America. It's not building our family. It's building the kingdom of God, which as Jesus told the people that he was with for his 33 years, it's not this, right? The, the kingdom is, is later. We're going to find out what that is. So don't live for yourselves. And what we are entrusted with is sharing the gospel of Jesus with those that we come in contact with, with building his kingdom. And Jesus, of course, was the best at this, obviously, and uh, I want to look at three different things that he did, how he encountered people, how he engaged people, and what we can really learn from that today. To look at Matthew 9, starting in verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, Jesus spent the first Thirty years of his life, like a typical uh, Jewish boy would have done, was basically at home, and you would learn the trait of your father for those thirty years, and as as, you know, along with all the Jewish customs. And about the age of thirty, you would go out and kind of do your own thing. Usually, you would maybe continue the, that, you know, in the same in a field that your father was in. And Jesus' earthly father, his stepfather, was was Joseph, obviously, and he was a carpenter. So Jesus probably learned uh, carpentry, and of course. His real task at the age of 30 was his heavenly father's business. As we heard, even when he was 12, he said that. And uh, at the age of 30, he goes out. And for the first few chapters of Matthew, the ministry of Jesus is largely done alone. It's him engaging people, ministering to people alone. And uh, starting in the next chapter after nine, so chapter 10, Jesus begins sending out trained disciples and using them in the work of the ministry. So Jesus, of course, could have done whatever he wanted to do by himself. But it's the plan of God in in, in his perfect will to use disciples in this work of the ministry, and that's still today. Jesus, of course, is at the right hand of the Father, and we have the Holy Spirit helping us. But the plan of the Father to build his kingdom is us, imperfect, messed up people who are trained and ready to share in the work of the gospel. And Jesus himself even did this during his time here. And if we want to engage our culture and make a difference in the world like Jesus, There's three things in this passage that I think are essential for us. And let's look back at at verse 35. It says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, the first thing here is that Jesus saw the people. It says that Jesus went went all, all around his area. He was going to all the villages, all the towns, and this wasn't like a sightseeing trip or a little fun vacation. He was actually engaging in the work of the ministry, right? It says that he was preaching in their, in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing the sickness, healing diseases of, of all the people. And This was not just him just having a good time traveling around. He was engaging in the work of the ministry. And if you've read the New Testament, you know, there were all kinds of crazy, weird diseases back then that we don't have today. And he was touching them. He was engaging with them. He was actually getting his hands dirty, if you will, in the work of the gospel. And I think one of the biggest detriments to uh, Christians today involved in the work of the gospel is that we don't see anybody. Let me share with you a couple of statistics that won't surprise you at all. There was a study that was done a few years ago about phone usage. This is from 2018, uh, but as we all know, in the last three years, phone usage has gone down, right, since 2018? No, it's probably way more, but here's the study from 2018. Okay, it says that the average American adult spent at least three hours a day on their smartphone. It says it was probably more like four hours a day, but let's just go with the three hours a day. That would be 86 hours a month or just under 20 hours a week, it was two hours and 51 minutes a day, just under 20 hours a week. That's a part-time job, okay? A part-time job that we're looking at our phones. And remember, this is adults. We're not talking teenagers. We're talking 18 and up. American adults are spending 20 hours a week on their phone. Uh, There was a different study that said it's actually more like four hours a day. And that half of that, two hours a day, is spent on the five biggest social medias, which were, at the time, YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay, so just those two hours a day, if that's what you did, then in an average lifespan from the age of 18 to the average age of death in America, you would spend five years and four months straight on social media. Isn't that crazy? And as we know, social media is so positive, and it builds us up. It makes us feel so good inside, right? Five years of your life, we're spending on something that we all know is not the best for us, right? Now, listen, there are some good things about social media, but there's a lot of of negative things if you're not careful. That same study said that Americans check their phones 80 times a day, 8-0, 80 times a day we're looking at our phones. Most adults check their phone once every 10 minutes, While one in 10 checks their phone every four minutes, the average adult said they could only go four hours without looking at their phone before they felt anxious and depressed. These stats don't surprise you though, right? I mean, I can go on and on. Uh, There was a, a second grade teacher who asked her students to write about an invention that they wish had never been invented. And out of her 21 students, four of them wrote about cell phones. And one little girl wrote, if I had to tell you what invention I don't like, I would say that I don't like the phone. I don't like the phone because my parents are on their phone every day. A phone is sometimes a really bad habit. I hate my mom's phone, and I wish she never had one. And then she drew a picture of a smartphone with an X over it and a sad face that said, I hate it. Well, that's sad, isn't it? When I read that, I immediately started thinking about my phone usage. Desmond wasn't even born yet, but Kinley was uh, about one. And I remember thinking, the last thing I want is for my child, that all they see when they look at me is me looking down at my phone. And there's this really ugly feature on most phones today that you can see how much time you're spending on your phone and what apps you're spending them on and everything. So this was two years ago, so I'm better now, okay? But two years ago, I looked at this, and the number one app that I was spending about an hour a day on was a game. But I was really good at it. I mean, really good at it. I was like in a league that was nationally ranked. I was really, really good at this game. Really good. And I remember in one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, having to go to my wife and be like, I got to delete this game. And it's, it's really hard. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can get rid of this game in my life because I'm so addicted to it. And I ended up uh, deleting it. Uh, It was actually Madden Mobile, if any of you are interested. Uh, Great game, by the way, but just be careful. But every year that the football season kicks off again in August or September, the app store is always like, try the new Madden Mobile. And I'm like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't control myself. But we all need to be aware of what we're spending our time on, right? And if it's not the phone, if if you are like, yeah, I don't even have a smartphone, great for you. But there's something else that's distracting us from people. Isn't that, I mean, it's either a hobby, maybe it's your job, maybe it's something that's distracting you away from the people around you. And if we never see people, if we never are aware of what they're going through, if we're not engaging them in the work of the gospel, if we're not getting our hands dirty, if we're not considering their spiritual state, how are we ever going to make a difference in their life? How are we ever going to impact people if we don't even see them? And if we never see people, we'll never get to the next step. Look back at verse 36. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Compassion is an emotional response that always results in caring action. The Greek word that's used for move with compassion here. Is the strongest word for pity in the Greek language. It describes compassion, which moves people to the deepest depths of their being. It's actually formed from another Greek word that refers to the bowels. So it was this gut-wrenching reaction that Jesus was having here. And what was it? Was it that they were poor? Was it that they were needy? What was it that caused Jesus to have this gut-wrenching emotional reaction? Well, it tells us, it says in verse 36, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Another version says confused and helpless. It was their spiritual state that moved him. It was their spiritual state. When was the last time we saw a neighbor or a coworker or a friend who disagreed with us, who was different than us, or God forbid, voted differently than us, and we were consumed with compassion for them for their spiritual state? I got to be honest, it doesn't happen all that often to me. Usually when I see somebody on Facebook writing something stupid, I want to let them know that they're wrong, right? I can fix them. But Jesus saw the people around him. He saw their spiritual state, and he had a gut-wrenching reaction. Now, Jesus obviously grew up in a Jewish culture, and he knew these the whole process that Jews went through. And he knew the whole stories of how God brought them out of, you know, God originally promised to to Abraham that he would bless the whole world through his family. And then they're in slavery in Egypt, but God miraculously brought them out and God gave the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. And this was the process for them to, to be able to encounter God. And it was supposed to be, here's the rules, here's the steps that you have to do. And if you do all this right, you can have a relationship with God. And first of all, for the record, the law was just to show that we can't do it on our own. We're going to have to kill animals for the rest of our lives just to be right with God, and nobody could do it. And to make matters worse, the religious leaders of the day just put more rules and more requirements and more stipulations. And the majority of Megan and and my friends in South Africa are Jewish. And let me tell you, they're still living the same way. They have to call friends to come over and move objects in their house on Sabbath day because it's an ounce over whatever their priest told them that they could lift. And it's all these rules and requirements. And Jesus came realizing that I came to fulfill all this. We don't have to live like this anymore. And Jesus knew that he was the answer to all of their problems. And he knew that they were going to kill him. He knew that in less than three years, the people that he came to set free, that a few chapters later, he's going to say, come to me if you're tired, if you're weary, and I will give you rest, right? He knew that those people were going to kill him. He was the answer to all of their problems, all their parents' problems, all their grandparents' problems, all their kids' and grandkids' problems, and knew that they were gonna kill him, and he had compassion for them. I mean, if we aren't seeing people and intentionally engaging people who are different than us and engaging them in the gospel, We are not being a steward of what God has entrusted us with. And and let me just say that just because we're missionaries and live in South Africa doesn't mean that we get this right a lot. A lot of our friends disagree with us on a lot of things, and they get just enough American news that they think they know what's going on over here. And Megan and I, all the time, have to swallow our own feelings, swallow what we believe to be true, look past that, and see that if this person doesn't put their faith in Christ for salvation, they're going to go to hell when they die. And nothing else matters. doesn't matter what political party they're part of, doesn't matter what their hobbies are, nothing else, it doesn't matter anything else, but we have to have compassion for their souls and their spiritual state or we will never have the mission's heart of Jesus. We will never engage our culture and make a difference like Jesus calls us to. The third thing is, uh, it continues in verse 37. It says, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The bottleneck is the workers, right? It's it's not that, that the work isn't needed anymore. It's not that there isn't that much to do. It's that the workers aren't there. The laborers aren't there. The laborers have lost sight of the vastness of the harvest and the necessity of the harvest. We don't see people. We don't engage them in the gospel. And God knows we don't have compassion for them. So why would we ever work? Why would we ever go out and be engaged in in this harvest that God calls us to because we don't even see anybody? But this is what the problem is. And I love that Jesus uses the analogy of a harvest. He didn't just say there was a big job, we have to get it done. He used the harvest specifically. And I think there's a couple of reasons why. But first of all, a harvest is time-based, right? I, I grew up down in Madison Heights, Virginia. I'm surrounded by farms. I don't live on a farm, but I know just enough to know that the fastest way to, to harvest corn is not picking one ear at a time, right? I don't know how they do it. They have those fancy machines that have really tall wheels, and they drive over the corn stalks, and it looks awesome. But there's a specific time to do it, right? If it's too soon, you won't get as much as you could. Or if it's too late, you won't get as, as, as much as you could. There's a specific time to it. Also, you have to know what you're doing, You can't just send anybody out there and say, get as much as you can. You want the people to be trained and ready so that when the time comes, they are ready to get the maximum amount of harvest. And as we have been entrusted with the spiritual harvest, we have to be trained. Doesn't mean you have to have a degree. Doesn't mean you have to have like like a seminary degree. All you have to do is be able to share your faith with somebody. And it could be as simple as just sharing your story. Hey, I don't have all the answers but I was a messed up person that was living on my own, that was making bad decisions, and Jesus changed me. And I want that for you too. It can be that simple. We have to be trained and ready, and we have to be available for when the time comes. As Megan and I are ministering in South Africa, we had a friend uh, share with us this this scale. You know, obviously becoming a Christian and uh, you know, getting saved, there's, there's a moment where that happens, and that, 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 that's a one-time moment. But there's all these steps that it takes to get there, you know, from someone who has, you know, maybe they're anti-God, and you get them, you know, all the way, all these steps to being aware of who God is, being aware of the God of the Bible, being aware of what it means for you personally, and all these different steps. And so we have this scale with a number beside each step, and we have all of our friends numbered, so we know, okay, this person is aware of the God of the Bible, but they have no idea what it means to them personally. So whenever we're talking with them, you know, we don't just beat them over the head with the Bible. Like I mentioned, most of them don't even want to talk about God, but we are ready so that when the opportunity arises, we are ready with that next step. We know that if they pause in the conversation and say, so tell me again, what is it that you guys are doing? Bingo, they don't even know it, but we were ready to pounce when that moment happened. And so we are just aware, okay, I want them to know that this God of the Bible is personal. That's, that's the next step for this person. And we, we, we aren't great at it, I'll be honest. We have this chart and sometimes we fail, sometimes we, we, we miss opportunities, sometimes we don't say the right word, sometimes we don't always get it right, but we have to be ready for when the time comes so that God can use us and our life to affect other people. There's nothing more important than building his kingdom. I mean, how many times did God tell people the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and everybody was confused because they thought that Jesus was going to come and be a political figure. And if you ask Jews today why Jesus wasn't the Messiah, that's the number one thing they'll tell you. He wasn't a political figure, and our Messiah is going to be a political figure and restore Israel back to its rightful place. And something that I think is really scary is the amount of people that tie Jesus into America. And if America's not succeeding, where's God? And when, when, when Jesus was in Israel, they were under Roman oppression. And he said, give them the money that's theirs and we're going to worry about this. And listen, I I love America. I hate what's happening in our country. I hate pretty much everything that's happening right now. But it's not the most important thing that Christians are called to. And sometimes we have to stop trying to build our kingdom and what we think is the best thing or the right thing and focus on what God has called us to what God is entrusting us with. Man, sometimes I hate preaching this message because I'm just sitting up here thinking about all the ways that I'm falling short, thinking about all the ways that I haven't done what I was supposed to do this year. I think about all the ways that I got distracted and sidetracked. I think about the people in South Africa that we left behind right now. We're going to be back with them in two weeks, but I think, man, what about this relationship? I hope this hasn't fallen away. I hope I could have reached out to that person. I could have said something or I missed talking to them on their birthday or something like that. We don't always get it right. God's not asking us to be perfect, but we have to be working on this. And it starts with seeing people. You have to see them. You have to engage them in the work of the gospel. You have to have compassion for them. That's the worst part of this message, isn't it? That compassion part. Then we have to pray for more laborers. I want to point out too that in this, in the next chapter, the next verse after he said to pray for more laborers, he sends those disciples out. So he wasn't saying pray that God calls you. He was saying you are already called. You are already engaging in this. You are already laborers. Pray for others. As Christians, our prayer isn't, God, would you use me in this area? Or or God, God is going to use you in this area. It's God, send, send somebody to me. Use me in a way for for your kingdom. We're not asking God to call us in a ministry. We're already in it. All of us believers are the only difference between us and you guys is our zip code. We all have the same job. And Megan and I are privileged that we get to make a living doing this, but we all have the same spiritual job from, from the Lord. And that's engaging in this work of the gospel. You know, John 3:16, which is you know probably the most famous verse in the world, says, "For God so loved the world, that He gave." Right? The response of love is giving. So if we love our friends, if we love our neighbors, if we love our coworkers, if we love that family member who always comes to those family events and blows the whole thing up with their talk about whatever they talk about that nobody likes. If we love that person like God tells us to, we have to give. I'm so thankful that there's churches like this in America that that are full. I mean, I know I said that earlier, but I can't tell you how many churches that we've been to where they're empty. The churches are empty. People don't want to come back for a variety of reasons. And some people have, you know, very real reasons why they can't come back. So I'm not trying to condemn anybody who's not here today by any stretch of the imagination. Many people can't. But to see a church that is still committed to the gospel, that's committed to prayer, like this morning, a lot of churches don't even talk about prayer requests on Sunday morning. They don't want to scare anybody. They do that like on Wednesday night. But this church is talking about prayer, praying for each other, engaging with other people. And you guys are committed to this. The great thing is that most of these things that God calls us to, many of you are probably doing most of them right, but there might be one little area. Maybe it's distraction in your life that's, that's, that's taken away. Maybe it's the compassion one. Maybe it's praying that God would use other people to, to be engaged as well. Maybe it's all three or a combination. I know that I have definitely struggled with all three of those at different times in my life. But if we refocus this year on what we're really called to do, if we recenter on building God's kingdom and and not our own kingdom, if we see people and engage them with the gospel and have compassion for them, pray that God would send more laborers, we'll see a difference this year than we saw last year. We may not see it in the news. We definitely won't see it in the news. (laughs) We may not see it politically. We, we, We may not see it any other way. But eternity will see it. And that's what matters. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful that they uh, love missionaries, that that, that they believe in the the mission of God and and sending the gospel, not just here in Northern Virginia, but around the world. Lord, we know that the world needs you. I mean, no no year, at least in my lifetime, has shown us more of our need of an, an eternity where you are the king, where you are the leader. And God, we long for that. But until that day comes when you return, Lord, help us to be busy. Help us to see people and have compassion for them. Help us to engage our community, our neighbors, our friends, our, our coworkers, our family. And God, would, would we do it for your glory, not for ours, not so that people would think how great we are or anything like that. we do it for you, Jesus. We want you to get the glory, you to get the honor, and you to get the praise. And we do it all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.